Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? This is very weird. I actually saw Bill in person, in the flesh, uh, about 10 days ago, and, and now I'm talking to him again. This is like some sort of COVID-era world record. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. People are able to see me in public again. Uh, one person I have not seen in public in quite some time is Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on, brother? Bill, I'm good. I went on the Chicago River Architecture Tour yesterday, and it was absolutely lovely. Okay. What was uh, what was your favorite thing you saw on that? Uh, I saw a building. Uh, actually, it was a lot of talk about the 2009 financial crisis, which was very fun um, for a relaxing tour that I was hoping for. But I learned that you can just stop building a building pretty much whenever and throw a roof on it, and you'll be part of a tour. It doesn't matter when your funding gets cut. <laughs> So Ironically, that's, I that's that's the plan for the house my wife and I are building. We're just going to stop when we you know, run out of money and st- slap a roof on it and move in. I think that's also the plan for Penn State's uh, Beaver Stadium renovation, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, we, we are here to talk about Penn State things uh, other than the stadium renovation because the to- by the time you're listening to this, if I remember to upload this on Wednesday, which I almost certainly will, uh, we're going to be one month out. From the 2021 Penn State football season, we'll be one month away from Penn State heading to Camp Randall to take on the Wisconsin Badgers in a very, very exciting week one showdown. We decided, you know, we're not going to do a full preview pod just yet. There are some other things that we're going to talk about, and we'll get into full preview pod stuff soon enough. But we want to start by uh, doing kind of, uh, you know, in our notes, I said a preview to the preview in a second. We will get to that in a minute, but first... I think we got to talk about Penn State recruiting. Thanks to how Penn State has been picking up commitments and uh, some news that has happened in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in this podcast. The Nittany Lions, as of this recording, have the number one recruiting class in all of college football in the class of 2022. And Matt, I want to start with kind of a broad question, and it's one that All three of us have heard, our friends have asked this to us, we've seen people ask this question. Uh, In in the Penn State, our our little corner of the internet, outside of it, and just the general college football consciousness, and it's a very simple question. Last season, Penn State went four and five. Those first five games, they didn't look particularly great, those last four games, If you want to make the argument to say that they played uh, four cupcakes, uh, you can go ahead and say that. Whatever. That happened. They were the number 21 recruiting class in college football, the number six recruiting class in the Big Ten. It seemed like there was a lot of juice on and off the field removed from the program. And now we're here. Number one recruiting class in college football, number one in the Big Ten. Just a smorgasbord of four-star and really high three-star recruits. Uh, It seems like a lot of things are going well on the recruiting trail for Penn State, and it's off the heels of such a weird and bad season, Matt. So we'll start with kind of the broad question and maybe talk a little bit more about the class in a second. Why, after all of that, is this happening? Well, I think the... Easiest answer is something we've talked a lot about when we've we've gotten together in the last 16, 18 months to talk recruiting is on-campus visits and getting FaceTime in person with recruits. Um, we've had 
going back to June 1st when the dead period finally lifted and then the brief, you know, eight or 10 day period at the end of June or end of July, I should say, um, where kids were for the first time, both 22 and 23 and, and beyond, you know, any, any high school prospect was able to um, have face-to-face contact on campus with college coaches, tour facilities in person, you'll kind of get the whole unofficial and or official visit treatment. Um, we've talked so much about this in that time frame, and a lot of it was about why Penn State struggled to some degree last year in the class of 2021, is they were, they were, if not the most impacted program, one of the most impacted programs by that ban on in-person visits. Um, we're bad examples of this as Penn State fans of, of kind of knowing what Happy Valley is all about and what makes Penn State special. And um, even being on the outside looking in, I think we all have a pretty good understanding that from a facility standpoint, even though they're still being updated, um, you know, kind of on an, on a yearly basis, that the football program from a facility standpoint is able to offer the type of amenities that are you see at virtually all the other major programs across the country. But I think when you're a 16, 17, 18 year old high school kid who in a lot of these cases doesn't grow up in Pennsylvania, or even if they do grow up with Clemson and Alabama and Ohio state and Georgia and Oregon and all these, you know, we'll say flashier programs. And certainly over the time frame that those kids were, you know, developing rooting interest and starting to follow college football on a more um, closely close basis. The programs that they're familiar with aren't Penn state for a variety of reasons. Um, And so when they get on campus and they've got these great relationships with James Franklin, their position coaches and the entire recruiting staff, in a lot of cases, it's a revelation to them. Oh my gosh, this place is, you know, very similar to, to what I can get in Columbus or what I can get in Athens or what I can get in Tuscaloosa. And so I think you combine that elite relationship building that James Franklin and the staff have always done with, once again, having that silver bullet in their arsenal of being able to get these kids on campus, further grow that relationship, and really get to show them what Penn State and State College is all about. I think all of a sudden we had forgotten over the last 16 months how good this staff is at recruiting when they have all of the tools in their tool belt available, um, especially that that campus visit one, which is so, so important. There was a comment on on 24-7 Sports um, from Brian Doan, and I don't remember what it was you know, specifically in regards to, but it was basically, this is what Sean Fitz and I have been saying for the last year or over a year, is how important visits are. And it sounds so simple, but I think you know, the proof is in the pudding. I think it's what 12 commitments in the class of 2022 over the course of July, a, th- a 13th with Alex Birchmeyer in 2023. Um, all those kids were on campus in June. And one D commitment. Yeah, but he was back on campus though, too. <laughs> so know. who really knows I what's know. going on? Um, but all those kids that have committed in the last, you know, four and a half weeks or so now, we're all on campus in the last two months. And I think that's, that's proof in the pudding. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually glad you mentioned that uh, Doan comment because I, be- if memory serves, he said that after 
Nicholas Singleton or maybe deny Dennis Sutton. One of the two committed. Uh, it was on CBS uh, Sports Network at the broadcast they were doing in the commitment. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's really cool. Uh, they say that they do the U.S. soccer thing where in the NBA Finals thing where they say it's at five uh, and then it's like 15 minutes later. It's really, I, as you can tell, I'm a huge fan. Uh, but they said after there might not be a school in the country that is more dependent on getting kids onto campus than Penn State. And like you've mentioned, Matt, the proof is in the pudding. And I, you know, I have no direct evidence of this. It just seems like this is the case. But I don't think Penn State has had recruiters in its recruiting class this good in quite some time. I mean, you can only glean so much from things like social media, but a guy like Caden Saunders, a guy like Jerry Cross, a guy like Ken Talley, it seems like they are working just as hard, if not harder, than James Franklin and his staff to say, uh, listen, we want you in Happy Valley. We believe that we could build something special here and you could be part of it. And it just seems like it's resonating with guys. Uh, and it's been awesome to watch. And uh, Matt, I want to bring you here just kind of generally, I don't think I've been this excited about the long-term future of Penn State football since God, probably after the 2016 season. It's hard to imagine this run happening, considering where we were a year ago. Like, think about how down we all thought of the 2021 class, and then to come back with this, and really, the building blocks were set under the same parameters as 2021. So it, it is pretty ridiculous. And a lot of credit goes out to the Ken Talley's, the Jerry Crosses, the, um, oh my goodness. Why can I not remember his name? Caden Saunders. I was going to say Kevin Saunders, excuse me. Caden uh, Saunders of the world for going out there and being great peer recruiters. And then it really just came down to the staff. Like you said, closing things out, like with Ewers enrolling early at Ohio State, this is the number one class in 2022. Is it going to stay that way? No, but I, I think we've locked in this class as the floor now is top eight, I would argue. I think realistically anywhere in that five to eight range is really what I would expect. And, you know, to think about where we're at coming off that four and five season and coming off of, of a very underwhelming 2021 class, it's it's a very exciting time. Um, and, and I think things are only going to get better because I think now they can really focus on 2023 and really building a strong class for 2023 and, you know, further down the line, 2024. And let's take a moment to talk about the guys individually in this class. Uh, I don't want to talk about, you know, Drew Aller, Caden Saunders, uh, Ken Talley, you know, the guys who've been in this class for a while, uh, either Matt, whichever one wants to go first, but just among these newer guys in this class, who is the one that you would say you're the most excited about? Well, there's the obvious answers are Dennis Sutton and Singleton. You know, they're the two highest profile guys. I can make an argument that both have a realistic opportunity to, you know, when it's all said and done to be uh, five-star prospects um, just based on um, kind of the way they're trending. And in Dennis Sutton's case, especially, um, he, I don't believe, played any games last year at McDonough in Maryland. So there's really only camp performances in his uh, sophomore year tape to go off of. Um, but I think for 
different reasons. A couple guys that I'm excited about that um, I know we're going to talk under the radar here in a second, but aside from the obvious, I think Katron Allen, um, just because he's a guy that um, kind of underscores the point that I've been driving home for 18 months about getting kids on campus. He was a kid that, you know, was interested in Penn state, you know, would tweet about him, that sort of thing. They got him on campus on an official visit back in June and they immediately shot to the top of his his wish list. Um, he had offers from Alabama and Florida State and you know a bunch of the big names down south. He's originally from Virginia, but has been playing at IMG. And you get him on campus, and he you know falls in love with it like like a lot of us did when we first visited there. So I think a guy like him, um, when you combine him with what Singleton brings to the table, I think. Um, that reloads a running back room that didn't take a, a recruit last year. They added John Lovett and, and as a transfer. Um, adds another really solid, you know, potentially elite pair of guys to that group. And then another one that... Also, um, his nickname is Fat Man. Of course. <laughs> that might be the number one thing. He should, on be, he should get a five-star just for being like a kid who goes by Fat Man. How is that not five star worthy? I'm the fat man, skeetily bop 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 a doop uh one one of you will get that reference. And, and then the other guy, I'm just gonna shoot right past that, Bill, because I have no idea what you're going for. <laughs> you you don't remember um, uh you don't remember Scatman John? I also have no idea what that was. I'm I'm very sheltered, Bill. We will we uh, we'll, we'll 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 talk about this after. Um so, and the other guy would be Abdul Carter, um a linebacker from Philly who was certainly on the radar, but camped for the staff back in early June, just absolutely blew him away, and then got back on campus uh, for an official visit later in the month and then committed um, just this past weekend at the Lash Bash uh, cookout with um, you know, a number of prospects in attendance. Um, the, the way guys that have seen him play talk about the level of athleticism that he has and at his side, he's already 6'4", 235, and a true linebacker prospect, which... Um, if you go back, you know, over the years, hasn't necessarily been the case of guys that end up at linebacker. Um, but he's a true linebacker prospect. He has that elite athleticism. I think um, there's another guy that as there gets more game film uh, out there this fall, uh, LaSalle College High School or prep school, um, you're going to see him, I think, turn a lot of heads and, and move up the rankings quite a bit as well. Yeah, I, I my guy just... Real quick, it, I think that if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I am a big believer in uh, getting the sons of really good football players because they tend to be just wired in a very specific way. And I think when you watch Christian Driver play uh, on either side of the football, uh, he has some really fun tape out there. And he's a guy who I think that whether he plays wide receiver, whether he plays uh, safety, he's going to be a guy who I think ends up putting up some pretty serious numbers. And also, uh, his dad, he looks like if the Packers called him up tomorrow, he could still give them 60 catches for 950 yards and a couple of score. Like, Donald Driver looks remarkably good. I was... uh, the same thing. He looks great. (laughs) Matt, what about about you? Who's the guy, this newer crop of dudes in this class who you're most excited about? I'm going with Cam Miller, um, simply because the fact that Terry Smith has not missed on the southern corner. Amani Overwarrie from Tampa, Grant Haley from Georgia, uh, Christian Campbell from Alabama. Like, 
Terry Smith knows what he's looking for in corners, and I don't know what it is about the guys he's gotten from the South, but they've all hit. All those dudes I just named were multi-year starters, and I think he's a guy who plays in a tough state. I love Florida recruits. Florida's fine as a state, but it's great for recruiting. Um, But overall, I, I think that's a guy you can add to your room, and because of the way Penn State's cornerback room looks right now with a lot of really talented guys Granted, a lot of them are draft eligible um, this year. Pretty much everybody on the roster, it looks like, in that position room, with the exception um, of Kalen King and Jeffrey Davis, are draft eligible. Obviously, not everyone's going to go, but that's beyond the point. So he seems like a guy that if he's ready, he'll play. And if he's not ready, they can bring him along at a nice pace. So he's a guy I can really see developing quickly and becoming a multi-year starter for Penn State. And if you can find that from a non-traditional recruiting footprint. I know Penn State's going after Florida more, but that's still not their wheelhouse. That's a humongous win and just another feather in Terry Smith's cap. Yeah, we've said it on the pod before, but like the number 30 kid, Cam Miller is the number 30 kid in Florida and he is the number 208, uh, 33 kid in Florida and he is the number 280 player uh, in the country. Uh, meanwhile, the number 30 kid from Pennsylvania uh, is not ranked. Uh, going by their ratings, Miller point nine zero one six. that aforementioned kid in Pennsylvania, point eight two six five. That's not to disparage uh, that young man. It's more to say that the level of high school talent in Florida is such that if you get the quote-unquote scraps you are still getting three, four-star kids and guys who are really battle-tested by the time they step onto a college campus. And uh, Matt, you mentioned a moment ago just the -the under-the-radar guys uh, in this class. Again, the newer ones to commit that we're the most excited about based on what we've watched. Is there one dude in this class who you've seen of that, I don't want to say lower tier, the three-star kids will say, who... When you watch them, you're like, ooh, you know what? There might be something here. Uh, I'm going to cheat and do two again, one on offense and one on defense. On offense, um, I admittedly haven't really dissected the video or anything on him, but Tyler Johnson, the wide receiver out of Virginia that um, kind of came out of nowhere back in June, um, camped for the staff, earned his offer there, um, then committed, came back the following weekend on his official visit and committed shortly after that. Uh, might have even been that that weekend when he was on campus. <clears throat> um, I've said it a bunch of times, but I, kids that, that earn their offer in camps, uh, I think are, are always intriguing because it's an opportunity, um, one to, to earn it, but two for the coaches to really get uh, a really accurate picture of, of what the guys do, how they, they fit into what they, they expect from, from whatever position it might be. Um, they can put them through the, the workouts, the drills that really showcase, um, what they're looking for. Um, and he, he did a bunch of stuff. I don't have the numbers in front of me um, conveniently, but uh, just he's a guy that I think in a class where they've they've really prioritized high-level receiver prospects, the fact that they were more than comfortable taking him at the point they did, I think, speaks volumes to, to how they, they feel about him regardless of what the rankings are. And another kid um, who's actually ranked just a couple of spots below him nationally is Kevin Winston, the safety from DeMatha, who just committed uh, on, I believe that was Saturday, um, he's a kid that, again, has been at the top of the board that you've heard a lot about if you've followed recruiting closely uh, for a long time, plays at DeMatha. Um, they actually played a few games last fall, so there was a little bit of game tape on them. But again, 
you know, we talk about how weird it was at, at the collegiate level last year with, with the COVID uh, protocols and whatnot. High school football, especially um, at the private schools in Maryland, um, was was bizarre on its own in its own way. So um, he's a guy that that despite where he might be ranked 649th nationally, I think the fact that the staff has prioritized him over some of the other you know higher profile names that might have been linked to Penn State, I think says a lot about how how confident they are in in him. And I think he's a guy to watch this fall. Um, as you have more of a, a typical high school football season, hopefully, um, a, guy, a name that I think we'll you'll see move up the the rankings list as well. And then Matt, is there anyone that you've seen who uh, particularly piques your interest? I think Caleb Artist uh, first and foremost. For starters, he went to the same high school as Joe Torre. Um, so shout out to you, Bill. Um, Let's Yan- go Yankees. Yankees cheating in the 09 World Series. I have no proof, but I'm going to keep saying it. Well, that's um, what so losers Caleb Artis, do, Matt. <laughs> uh, I think Caleb Artis is like your very typical tweener kind of guy, like very much so. Like he's huge. 6'4 is big for a defensive tackle. Uh, I think he's very much in like that Kevin Givens, Anthony Zettel, Hakeem Beeman role. I think he's a guy they can develop to play both inside and outside. He's a longer-term project. A lot of those kind of players are, but – if you can get him to hit and if he can be that Kevin Givens type, like that's a huge asset for any team. That's a role I think Akeem Beeman is going to be relied on to play heavily this year, and there's a lot of value in it. So if you can get him to really develop well, that could be one of the bigger recruiting wins. And one of those other, I think another great three-star James Franklin's found that he develops pretty well. So he's definitely a guy I, I'm very intrigued to watch. Uh, unfortunately, it probably won't be until like 2023, 2024. Yeah, I, I was going to uh, echo the sentiment on Tyler Johnson. One, because uh, I was a big fan of uh, former Minnesota wide receiver Tyler, John- Tyler Johnson. But uh, the bigger thing was more that I think when you look at the level of talent Penn State is trying to recruit a wide receiver, just the way wide receiver is kind of going in football in general, where that's becoming a position where you, you, know, you want to have your – absolute freak athletes out there, the guys who are going to win those one-on-one battles because of the importance of big plays, the importance of being able to win those battles in the passing game. It says a lot to me when you consider the level of talent Penn State was trying to recruit in this cycle at wide receiver that they would have this kid come up to camp if memory serves, it's not, he might not have had a uh yeah he committed to Penn State on uh June 21st and he didn't have a composite rating until June 23rd uh I don't think 20 24/7 might not have ha- yeah they did have him rated a little before that so apologies uh but he wasn't exactly a prospect that the entire college football universe is going after and yet Penn State got to sit down and watch him and go this kid is so good that we are going to offer him at a position that we are trying to get a ton of talent into. And I think that is a real testament to how good this kid has the potential to be and how important the coaching staff believes he could be, especially to this newer uh, offense that we think Mike Yurcich might be uh, throwing together. But really fun time for Penn State on the recruiting trail. Matt, one last recruiting question before uh, we get into talking some season preview stuff, and that is that... Uh, college football, as we know, was one of the most what-have-you-done-for-me-lately industries on the planet. So uh, 
all what, what we've seen so far could not be much better, but what is next for James Franklin uh, and this recruiting staff and this coaching staff on the recruiting trail? Well, the the quick answer is not a whole lot in 2022. They're at 24. Come on, Matt. They can probably go to 25 or 26. Um, you know, a couple of things to clarify there, just you know, as far as you know, some of the revisions to you know how scholarships count and whatnot. Um, you can uh, you can have up to 25 initial counters, they call them. So that's players coming into your program that year, and that can include transfers. Um, so one of the things I think you'll see typically going forward is Penn State probably, depending on how the numbers shake out from year to year, trying to leave a couple spots open um, as they look into the transfer portal to fill some of those holes that open up because of injuries and transfers out on from their own team and uh, NFL declarations and whatnot. Um, but I think they, they will certainly go to 25. I think they will probably end up at 26. 27 is doable from the little bit of, of math and reading that I've heard. Um, I think they'll be a lot more confident about what that final number is um, once they get into spring or a fall camp here in the next week or so. Um, and kind of see where some of these kids have developed over the summer. And um, unfortunately, kids that probably, you know, are showing that they're just not capable of playing at this level. Um, but some names to keep your eye on. Uh, Darius Clemens, the wide receiver, who's originally from Michigan, but now lives out in Portland, Oregon. Um, released the top three earlier this week that included Penn State, Oregon, and a third team that I don't remember. Um, he's a guy that's been on campus really close with Caden Saunders. Um, is kind of that bigger... Uh, more physical wide receiver, which isn't something they really have in this class at the at this point. Um, he's the guy to keep an eye on. He said he's going to try and get into the season a little bit before making a decision. Um, another wide receiver out of uh, Richmond, Virginia, Andre Green, um, has Penn State among his top schools. I think he's probably a little bit more of a reach than uh, Clemens is at this point, just kind of reading the tea leaves. On the offensive line, uh, the, the big prize would be if they can somehow find a way to pull him out of Ohio would be Emil Wagner at a date and a big four-star tackle um, who's probably leading Notre Dame at this point. If you were to read uh, the crystal balls and whatnot, um, another offensive lineman, um, this one out of St. Francis in Baltimore, Andre Roy, who announced that he will be making a decision uh, next month in September. Um, those are probably the the biggest names to keep an eye on. There are probably a couple more I'm, I'm leaving out um, with uh, Tyrese Farabee uh, decommitting in the last a uh, week or so, uh, DJ Wesselak, I hope I'm saying that right, from Missouri, a fi- uh, th- four-star defensive end, uh, is a guy that um, is looking to make a visit here in the next month or so. Um, there's the linebacker, Wesley uh, Byzante from Miami, a four-star prospect who has talked about Penn State, but I don't believe they've gotten him on campus yet. Um, and then kind of the, the mystery guy, um, and I'm blanking on his name here, there he is, uh, Jay Sean Barham from St. Francis, um, uh, top 60 prospect at linebacker. Um, one of the quieter recruitments you'll ever find. He just really doesn't talk to anyone. Um, he did visit Penn State unofficially back in June. Um, it's really anyone's guess where they stand at this point. If they can get back, him back on campus this fall, I think that will be a, a really positive sign. But um as you can see, there's not a whole lot of names left. So what that's going to allow Penn State and James Franklin to be able to do going forward is really start to focus on 2023. Um, I don't have have the names here in front of me because we could talk about that for 15 minutes if we wanted to. 
Um, but they had a bunch of those kids on on campus for the Lash Bash uh, just last weekend, and they already have Alex Birchmeyer, who will be one of the top offensive line prospects, if not the top offensive line prospect in the 23 class, um, who verbally committed last month, um, already in the boat. Um, another name to keep an eye on um, is Antonio Tripp, another McDonough prospect. Um, who, Does he go by Tony Tripp? Do we know? Uh, he does now. As far as uh, the blog is concerned, he is Tony Tripp. I really want him to go by Tony Tripp. That's a great name. Uh, I, have a, I have a cousin who's a character actor in Mafia movies, and I think his name was Tony Tripp in one of them. It, it, it's in the stars then, so that's that's it's canon now for, for Roar Lions Roar. Um, <laughs> but uh. he's probably the next name to probably keep an eye on. There's a couple other kids um, that... Um, have kind of hinted they might be making a decision, but nothing really out there that you know makes you think that Penn State's really pushing for one. I think the re- one of the reasons Trip is a name to keep an eye on is they already have one offensive lineman and you know on the board with Birchmeyer, so slots at that position you know could potentially go pretty quickly once 2023 heats up a little bit more. And obviously the McDonough to Penn State pipeline, um, he's a guy that um, the staff is obviously very comfortable with, comfortable with the program he's coming from. Um, and vice versa, Penn State's a place that he's very comfortable with, um, given the number of kids from McDonough that have made their way to Happy Valley. Matt, how how uh, far do I live from uh, wherever Emil Wagner goes to school? You are probably about an hour and fifteen. All right, I, I, I don't don't worry, everyone. I'll I'll convince him to come to Penn State. Uh, that that won't be weird. Uh, stop it! Stop at McDonald's. What's uh What's at McDonald's? Oh, that was a that was a bag. Dropping the bag via McDonald's joke. Uh, wish that I was on a rocky top. Or, or whatever. Uh, let's talk about this season. Uh, like we mentioned at the start, uh, last year was quite weird for Penn State. Um, a season that, let's face it, basically nothing ended up going well for the Nittany Lions. And... Before we get to talking about that and any potential carryover, uh, we'll flip around which mats uh, start with this segment of the podcast. Uh, so, Matt, just generally going into this season, when you're just looking at this Penn State season and not considering the context of last year, what are your general thoughts about this Penn State Nittany Lion team and the season it's about to embark on? They're strong in places that they haven't traditionally been strong, and they're weak uh, at the most important position in football, uh, at quarterback, and they're weak at a spot they haven't been weak at in a long time, and that's defensive end. Um, Yeah, they're really strong on the offensive line, which we've said for years that we're a year away. I think this is the year. And they're really strong at corner, and it's been a long time. Like, Zach McPherson would have been the program's highest-drafted corner in a long time if he would have stuck around. Like, he was a fourth-round pick, I think. Um, And and if your highest draft pick is a fourth-round guy, that says a lot about what that position usually is for you. So there's a lot of questions, but I'm excited to watch new areas of this Penn State team that aren't usually a strength. Like, I'm excited really to watch – what high to mid-round corner back play looks like. I'm really excited to watch a dominate an offensive line. Um, and, and then, you know, anytime you have a quarterback situation like Penn State has, where there's a clear-cut answer, 
um, but the answer uh, maybe is not what you want it to be, that's just naturally going to be intriguing. So it, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be very stressful. Um, but after uh, what 2020 gave us, I will take uh, normal football with fans in the stands because um, that will just at least be fun. It can be as miserable, but at the end of the day, as long as it feels normal, I will have a blast watching it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's reasonable. Uh, Matt, what about yourself? I think I'm just excited for something more closely resembling college football. Um, you know, obviously everyone, you know, do the right thing, get your shot, you know, wear a mask if you can't get it for whatever reason. But it, I think from all indications, we're going to have something that resembles generally what we expect college football to be on a, on a year in year out basis. And regardless of, of, whatever your thoughts are from last year, that wasn't college football, really, even in the places where you had fans in seats. It just was weird. And you had team, you know, you didn't know who was going to play week to week. There's going to be some level of that this year, unfortunately, regardless. But I think just, I last year when we did one of these podcasts, I think we got into some of our preview podcasts before the, the season was temporarily canceled. And it just didn't feel like the level of excitement that I think we all look forward to when you get to be about this time in August and we're, you know, some schools are getting ready to go back and, um, you know, you're starting to read about fall camps. So you had media day a couple of weeks ago. Um, and like you said, Bill at the top, you know, we're, we're, as we're recording this a month and a day away from, from Penn state's first game or less than a month away from those week zero games. And I think just that excitement that you have, you know, when Wednesday, Thursday rolls around and it's almost game day and, and the first slate of games are coming on. Um, and I think with that, I think there's an excitement around this Penn State team because of the kind of segue into the next question that you have for us, because of how bizarre last year was and how impacted Penn State was on so many levels from everything that happened last year. I think there's a quiet confidence in listening to James Franklin talk, listening to a bunch of the, the leaders on the team talk. I think they have a pretty good feeling about what this team can be if if they you know continue to develop the way they were that they expect to. And I think just like you have most years with most teams that that excitement about you know if a couple of things break right, this can be a really special year. I think that's kind of the feeling that I have going into the year, just in a general sense, and then specifically with Penn State too. Uh, yeah, I mean, my entire thing with Penn State going into the season is that there are a couple of like little normal, what I would say normal question marks. Um, you know, I stuff like I, I want to see a couple, a couple of dudes and what they can do at defensive line. But I generally feel good about them. I want to know who the middle linebacker is going to be. I want to know this. Blah, blah, blah. But really, it feels to me like there is one. And this is kind of my overarching thing with Penn State football this season. There is one question mark, exactly one, that is going to determine what this Penn State football season is, and it's Sean Clifford, and what we get out of Sean Clifford, and whether or not, with a his third offensive coordinator in three years, which for a lot of guys, three offensive coordinators in three years is like a death knell, but for Sean Clifford, I think could be a good thing because I think he's going to have an offensive coordinator who's really good at placing an onus on the stuff that he's good at. 
if he could be the guy who we have seen during his high points, even if he could be 80% of that guy consistently, I think this Penn State team, which starts the season off with three, three straight and then five of their first six games are just absolutely brutal. I think this team has the potential to be a pretty special football team. But if Sean Clifford can't pick this stuff up, if Sean Clifford is closer to the guy who we saw have to get benched for Will Levis last season, we're in for a really tough football season. And even though I, my general thing is that I want to see how they lose to Wisconsin, how they would lose to Ball State, how they'd lose to all blah, 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 because I want to know the context. The fact of the matter is, unless they are able to look like Penn State in those games and win those games, we're going to be in for a world of some serious questions around this football team. And that goes back to, like we've mentioned a few times, last season in Penn State football and how there is just a ton of chatter about how important it is for James Franklin, how important it is for Brent Pry, how important it is for these players to establish that last season really was just a million things coming together and leading to this weird fluky season and not it being evidence that there is something amiss in Penn State football. And Matt, I want to start by just presenting that to you. When you hear that conversation... When you see that chatter, when you see people going, maybe last season wasn't an anomaly. Maybe it's a sign of issues that could be, uh, I don't want to say deep-seated, but rear their ugly head at the worst times going forward and raise some questions about what Penn State football is. Just what goes through your mind? I said this in the Slack earlier today. Um, I'd be more concerned if Penn State was awful last year and they had a ton of COVID outbreaks. This team was one of like, what is it, two in the Big Ten that played all nine of their games. They handled the COVID season the right way. And I'm not saying that, you know, teams who didn't get to play all their games didn't. You know, stuff happens in, in, in 2020. But Penn State went out of their way and it seemed like, for James Franklin, who was away from his family, away from his kids, away from his wife, it seemed like his priority was making sure he got this season to run as smoothly as possible. Sorry, Siri was talking to me. Uh, it seemed like his goal was to make this thing run as smoothly and as safely as possible. And that probably cost them a lot of valuable practice time. So in terms of if I think this is an anomaly or, or a sign of something bigger, I mean, this program won at least 11 games three of the past five years. Uh, and the one they didn't was a nine-win season. Uh, the last time they've been on this stretch was a, a, a decade ago at the very least. So I, I think it's such an anomaly. Again, I'd be way more concerned if they were like 0-3 and, and all their games got canceled because of COVID. I think that would be a much more nightmarish scenario, but for how bad 2020 was for Penn state to come out of it, playing all their games, getting all that experience, I, I think is going to make them a better team on the other side. So I, I'm not going to put all that much stock into, into really any team in 2020, unless um, it's like an sec team and they pretty much played the regular season anyway. And Matt, what about yourself? 
Hello? Matt fell into the hole that is where his house is going to be. Oh, no. Uh, I muted myself. I'm out of podcast practice. There we go. Listen, we're not cutting that. Nor should you. That was hilarious. Um, but one of the things that Matt was, while Matt was talking and I was muted and just kind of, you know, listening to the, the docile tones there. Um, Are you also drinking $5 wine? I'm, I'm at six fifty. Oh, wow. High roller. <laughs> um, but as he's talking and he's, you know, yes, Penn State struggled. Yes, you know, the, the quality of football was not very good, even as they wrapped up the season with the four straight wins. But if you go about 25 minutes west of where I live in Michigan, there was a team that struggled really just as much and had the, you know, was it two different, I think, COVID outbreaks um, that cost Michigan the Ohio State game. And really, I think they missed, ended up missing three, three games, maybe even four. But I think the fact that James Franklin and his staff were able to keep Penn State together and committed to being safe, being healthy, um, speaks to the camaraderie and the the team building that is in place at Penn State. And I think that's one of many reasons to be optimistic. I'm an optimistic guy by nature, especially when it comes to, to college football in August. But I think these this team demonstrated last year how close they were. And then you have guys like Tariq Castro-Fields and Jahan Dodson opting to come back guys that would have been drafted uh, back in April opting to come back for another season, I think again, speaks a lot to the, the culture that James Franklin's built. And I think that is the biggest thing that I take from last year that makes me optimistic about this coming year. And then, you know, not to belabor the point, you know, for the umpteenth time since, since March of last year, but Penn state just, you know, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong from, you know, new coach hires that came in, you know, just in time for a 15 or 16 month dead period to Micah Parsons and journey, Micah Parsons opting out of the season and journey Brown, unfortunately being forced to retire from football to, to the, his heart condition. And then you lose Noah Kane on what the third play of the season, you lose the Indiana game on the controversial call. And then you've got the Ohio state juggernaut in week two. And it's, you know, that's just a, a fraction of the things that they dealt with you know, even before the season and early on in the season. And I think when you factor in that on top of everything that Penn State and James Franklin put in place to have that safe and healthy season that Matt mentioned, it all kind of makes sense. And it's not excuse making, but I think, you know, looking at it, you know, especially, you know, almost a year later now, it's kind of easy to put the pieces together and kind of give them the, the mulligan on it because of, you know, what they've proven since the 2016 season and kind of how the program been trending up until, you know, March of, of 2020 through last year. And now we talk about, you know, fans back in the stands, the 13 commitments between two recruiting classes in July, um, you know, Jahan Dodson and Castro Fields coming back, uh, an offensive coordinator that I think we're all excited about. All of a sudden, all those things that were kind of snowballing downhill are kind of picking up steam going the right direction now. Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting to look back on it now and look at how, how much things have flipped overall for the program. All right. So let me just, let me just mark this down. Okay. Uh, Connor or whomever from home field apparel, 
I want to make something clear because Matt just mentioned the Indiana game last year. Michael Penix was short. Penn State won that game. And also, I am going to lead an email campaign to get Penn State to license your products. Now that that is out of the way, uh, I'm really glad that Matt actually mentioned uh, Micah Parsons and Journey Brown because I think we saw in how they played, uh, particular, particularly on the defensive side of the football, that not having those guys was just a gigantic issue for Penn State. I mean, with Journey Brown, it's easy. You lose him, then Noah Kane suffers a freak injury, and the next thing you know, their running backs are Devin Ford and two true freshmen. And long term, that's uh, that seems like something that could end up <laughs> not being the worst thing in the world for the program. But that's like there are going to be some major growing pains there. And we saw on defense, Penn State lacked that guy who was able to see a mistake pop up and just go fix it. And I think we all have some optimism in a guy like a Brandon Smith or in a guy like a Curtis Jacobs to be able to fill that role to some extent. Obviously, nobody's going to be Micah Parsons, but to some extent. But we didn't have that in the Penn State football program last year. Now we're at the point where those things are now in the past. Penn State has seen them and knows how to correct them. Uh, and I think one thing that I want to do is just read a couple of quotes that are just really interesting to me from uh, Athlon Sports did something where Big Ten coaches spoke anonymously about uh, other teams in the conference. And the some of the stuff that was said about Penn State, we'll find out pretty quickly if they've used their pandemic year as an excuse for their record or if things really just got sideways on them. The talent on this team should make them better by default. But even with the amount of distractions last year, what you saw in the field was a poorly coached football team. If it was a cultural issue with James Franklin, James should have been able to see that coming before the year. Um, let's see. Kirk Shiraka's firing, understandable to some. To other guys, it's pretty rough. Can't put everything on him. Some stats weren't that bad. Trouble finishing drives. Uh, and then the one that I think we, all of us who read the piece found most interesting. This is going to be a fascinating team to watch. Franklin is going to try to convince his program everything that went wrong last year can be contained to last year, and I'm not so sure it could be. And what that indicates to me is that the rest of the Big Ten, or maybe not the rest, I don't want to speak that broadly, maybe a couple of guys in the Big Ten, a couple of coaches, a couple of people who spoke to Athlon, think that these issues that we saw, we have heard about at Penn State, not for any reports or anything, but just in the general discourse around Penn State, are legitimate, and that's both what makes it to me so exciting about their first three games of the year being going to Camp Randall, a Ball State team that's going to be one of the best group of five teams in college football, and hosting a very good Auburn team. Penn State's going to have to show very quickly that what happened last season was something that was indeed contained to last season, was indeed uh, the result of a weird COVID season where a bunch of play, where they lost a bunch of players to injury or the draft or whatever, that the stuff that happened last year can indeed be, I like that phrase, contained to last year. Penn State does that. They are able to contain that. And this is going to be, because let's face it, the bar that we're always going to hold Penn State to is Ohio State. This is going to be a team that's going to be battle-tested and potentially have only one loss on their record heading into that game in Columbus. 
But if this goes sideways, there is a very real possibility that Penn State's going to be walking into Columbus, Ohio with two or three wins out of one, two, uh, out of seven games. That's not particularly good. And it's a reason why I find this season so interesting, just as someone who sits back and observes Penn State football. And that's kind of a, a, a not particularly fun way to look at it. But let's look at some. We're, we're going to end this podcast by doing something fun, doing something a little pessimistic, and then doing something fun to end. Let's start with a game of fill in the blank. We're going to play two rounds of this, Matt. The first round. This season is a success if blank. What do you put into that blank? They win 10 games. That's okay. always going to be the bar. Um, if you think about what a horrible start did for Penn State, it really, I don't know what the right word is, slingshotted them in the wrong direction. If they can come out of September with a win against Wisconsin, a win against Mac champion ball state, put some respect on the Cardinal names um, and Auburn, that could be a slingshot in the opposite direction. And, and, and after last year, I think Penn state's due for that. Um, and again, like Matt, um, I think we share the same belief. If you're not optimistic in August, what's the point of being a fan? Um, but I, I think 10 and two is their absolute ceiling this year, just simply because they have to go to Wisconsin. They have to go to Iowa they have to go to Ohio State, and it, it, it's an absolute murderer's row for a lot of the season. There's there's good gaps in between. There's good break games. But if they win 10 games and get back to the norm, I think that shows that James Franklin's program is in a really healthy place, that you can have those bounce-back years. Um, anything better than that would be just gravy, but I, I think 9-3, and 10-2 and two would, would be, I would call it a success. And Matt, the same question to you. I would agree with the 10 wins and I would add the caveat of they look more organized on both sides of the ball. And I think part of that last year was, you know, the different COVID protocols and new coaches and whatnot. But I think there were long stretches last year. And I think on the defensive side, especially, I think it kind of lasted all year in, in the back four and maybe even the back seven, if you want to count the linebackers and pass coverage, where they just looked like they weren't really sure what they were doing. They looked they looked like they weren't practicing together, which they weren't to some degree all year. Um, and I, so I think certainly having that success on the scoreboard and wins and losses, but I think on top of that, you want to see a team that is kind of gotten back, getting back to what we had seen previous to 2020, as far as James Franklin, Penn State teams, where they're they're doing all the things they're fundamentally sound and they look um, it looks like there's a plan. I think last year on offense, it just, it felt like they were just kind of um, for the first, first half of the year, certainly just trying to throw whatever they could at the wall and found what stuck um, before they kind of got into this ball control, play it safe sort of mode. Um, so I, I, you want to see him getting back to big plays. You want to see him getting back to, um, you know, being being diverse at offense, I think you want to see a, a defense that's able to you know get pressure on the quarterback, able to cause havoc plays on on the back end, create turnovers, um, just kind of get back to what I would call Penn State football. Yeah, I to me there are two questions, like, like like two questions in this. Number one is 
from a football perspective and what we see out of Penn State perspective, the one thing that I think was missing above everything else last season was big plays on both sides of the football. The defense was not as fast. It was not as fluid. It was not as good at getting home. It was not as good as uh, forcing turnovers, of forcing the opposing team to be in, you know, second and 13, third and 10 situations where you are putting yourself into a position to succeed. The offense wasn't particularly good, and, and this goes back to, uh, I, I think, in what. I think partially Journey Brown and then just the offense that Kirk Shiraka wanted to run wasn't particularly good at, we're going to throw the football down the field. We're going to put our guys in position to make big plays and we are going to turn, we're basically going to get the play, to convert the plays that change a football game. I thought Penn State was really bad at that on both sides of the field. And I think that, you know, I've... Never spoken to James Franklin. I've never spoken to people particularly close to James Franklin. Uh, but I would bet if you get a couple of yinglings into James Franklin, he would say part of the reason they decided to bring in Mike Yurcich was the team was just not good at creating big plays on offense last year. And I think on defense, he's just banking on the fact that Brent Pry has in the past been good at putting together defenses that are good at those havoc plays. But then there's the broader answer to this question in my mind. It is the inverse of this answers what's going to be the next fill in the blank for me, which is that we don't have the kinds of existential conversations about the path that Penn State football is going down at really any point this season. Like, there are always going to be the people who pop up on Twitter and on message boards and on uh, the radio and on TV and stuff like that and say, uh, you know, James Frank was not the man for the job, blah, blah, blah. But it's like any conversation. If you could keep that isolated to a couple of people who just don't like James Franklin, it's whatever. If we're sitting here at the end of the season and Penn State is a six-win program, a seven-win program, and they don't look particularly convincing getting to six or seven wins, then we're actually having this conversation. And that's the thing that I think Penn State needs to avoid above everything else. If they can avoid that, I think it's a broadly successful season. And then, of course, uh, my answer is the inverse of that to this season is a failure. If blank, if we sit here at, you know, in December and Penn State is going to uh, the Quick Lane Bowl or Penn State is going to, I I don't know, the Home Field Apparel Bowl sponsored by Duke's Mustard or whatever the hell it is. And they are one of those teams that... The you shirts know, would be fire for the home field apparel sponsored by Duke's Mustard Bowl. I just want that out there. I own, a, fire Duke, I, I own a home field apparel Duke's uh, Mayo Bowl shirt, so I can agree with that. But just the general fact that if Penn State's going to one of those lower tier bowls, uh, home field apparel, I love you, Duke's Mayo, I love you. And we're having the conversation of basically the big version of the conversation we were having uh, in the 2015 season when it was a lot of, Ooh, do you think Matt Rule would come here? Uh, What about uh, Matt Campbell? Do you think we could pry him away from Ohio State? What about this guy? What about this guy? Then we're on two years in a row of having those conversations. And that's when James Franklin is entering next season. And he's really, I don't want to say coaching for his job because I don't know anything about any of this. But that's when people start chirping, 
beyond us, beyond the Penn State corner of the universe. And it becomes a thing. And it becomes a thing that the athletic department possibly can't be able to ignore. Uh, Matt, uh, on to you. This season is a failure if blank. If James Franklin's job's safe, no matter what, I just want to – I I still think 2019 was the best season we've had under James Franklin, like far and away. And we're not even 24 months removed from that. We're probably not even like 20 months removed from that. Um, but I think it's a failure uh, if Brent Pry cannot close out games. Yursich is a home run. There is no doubt in my mind he is going to be wildly successful. Um, he puts quarterbacks in the league. Um, crazy to think about, uh, Mason Rudolph is a backup and I would say more successful in the pros than any quarterback Penn State has put in the pros in 25 years. I think that's fair. Matt, you might be the expert on that. I don't, I think it's the easiest yes ever. I mean, yeah. Kerry Collins Kerry is Collins, the only yeah. quarterback Penn State's put, with apologies to the great war daddy, Trace McSorley, uh, who came in and filled an Admiral V for a series or two. For the Ravens last year, Penn State hasn't put a quarterback into the pros uh, since Kerry Collins. Yeah. So well, uh, 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 you're forgetting Christian Hackenberg. Oh, pro baseball? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I did not forget Christian Hackenberg. But no, but to, to quote a good SpongeBob meme, uh, he don't miss. Like, Yersich does not miss. He's going to be great. And if he's not great right away, he's going to get a year two to make it great. He's going to get a year three to make it more great. Like he's going to have his time. So I, I don't really know what a win total looks like. I think in a normal season, the realistic floor for a James Franklin coach team is eight wins. Um, so I, I, I think that's a failure if they go eight and four or worse somehow. Um, but I think that the bigger failure is going to, even if they go nine and three, but they could have gone 11 and one, but those two losses are blown leads. Then that's a failure to me. I, I think it really varies and it really depends on a lot of aspects like how they lose their games and, and really who they lose their games to. And then Matt, over to you. I, I think agree a hundred percent with, I think eight and four is, I think nine and three is treading water. I think eight and four or worse is, is qualifies as a disappointment or a failure. Um, and on top of that, if the issues, you know, I'm going to be parroting both of you here, but if the issues that we've saw last year, that we've kind of chalked up to the the bizarreness of 2020 are still there and they you don't see them improve not just from last year to this year but from you know week one to week two from two to three and, and throughout the season um i think you there's an expectation of being back to normal being pra being on the practice field together having kind of that that typical week to week schedule is going to clean up a lot, a lot of those issues we saw last year. And if they're still there um, and, and linger into the, into the season, into October and November, then I think, you know, some red flags go up and you have some difficult conversations about um, not, not about James Franklin's job. He's not going anywhere. It costs upwards of $25 million. I think right now to, to fire him unless he, you know, somehow does something that allows you to get out of that contract uh for cause. Um, but you start having conversations about Brent Pry. You start having conversations about, um, I'm sure Terry Smith and, and some of the, the guys that have been here longer. Um, I think I'd even toss the offensive line to that. We talked a lot last year about, um, you know, Phil Troutwine probably as, as handcuffed as anyone 
from an assistant coaching perspective, not being able to really work out with his guys until September um, on a real kind of hands-on level. And even then it was, you know, limited to some degree. Um, I think all of us have the expectation between the talent and the talent on, on the offensive line and, you know, a full winter, spring and summer of conditioning and, and practice time that that unit's going to be much, much improved. I think if we continue to see issues there, then um, I realize it's only a second year, but that's probably a conversation that needs to happen because on paper, this is probably the most talented offensive line that Penn State's had. And let's, uh, after that. Real real quick, go ahead. If I have to watch uh, Graham Mertz or Bo Nix go like 20 for 23 for 295 yards and three touchdowns, I'm going to stick my hand in the garbage disposal. If I have to watch more mediocre quarterbacks pick apart this defense, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. I cannot do 2017, 2018 Michigan State all over again. Yeah, that game was uh, on BTN today, and I almost turned it on before I realized that it was a Michigan State uh, block of games, and not a Penn State block of games. Uh uh, you know, I had game we're most excited about on here, but like it's Auburn, right? We're we're almost excited for Auburn. I could do a ten minute monologue on Auburn and how excited <laughs> I am for that game. Matt, Matt, do you agree with this? Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely Auburn. Uh, That's uh, gonna be, that fun. Okay, so we 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 will uh, not do that. Uh, so we'll end with this. I will challenge you guys: one on offense, one on defense. Matt, start with you. Who is the player that you are most excited for? I'm just going to assume he meant me. <laughs> we, we, um, we, went, we went over this. For this section of the podcast, we're going with you. Okay. Um, on offense, I'm going to go with Brenton Strange because I think he's going to eat. Like, I, I think this is an offense that's going to rely heavily on play action, and I think Brenton Strange is a good enough tight end. Um, and especially with all the attention, I think Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington are going to get. I think he can absolutely feast. And and he's a tight end we haven't really seen since Gesicki. I'm not comparing him at all, but he's going to be that traditional receiving tight end. Sure, he can probably block better than Gesicki, but it's not as good as Fryermuth. You get the point. I, I think he's a guy who's absolutely going to feast in this offense. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy who can very quickly establish himself as one of the better tight ends in the conference and and really set himself up for all Big Ten caliber conversation in 2022 and beyond. Do you want me to defense right away? Yeah, go ahead. All right, I'm a nerd for uh, for playing the trenches, so Hakeem Beeman is my guy. I thought Hakeem Beeman was the best freshman on the field for Penn State last season, redshirt or true freshman, including Parker Washington and Kayvon Lee. I thought Hakeem Beeman was an absolute monster. And I think he's a guy who was so versatile. I'm far from the first one to to put this out there, but I think he could easily play end against more power-built offenses, like against Wisconsin and Iowa. I think you bump him out to end, and I think he is going to absolutely eat. But, you know, in, in his usual role inside, I think he is a dude who is going to really emerge in that Kevin Givens, Anthony Zettel. I am more athletic than a 300-pound guard, and I am going to prove it on every single play. And that's the that's the kind of play I'm really excited by, because I think you can always find a big dude to clog space. But when you can find an athletic dude in the middle of your interior defensive line— that's a game changer. And he's somebody I, I am beyond excited to watch this season. 
Uh, Matt, over to you, guy on both sides of the football. I don't know how you can't answer Noah Kane to this question on offense. Um, you know, we were, I think it's been so easy to forget because we haven't seen him healthy for you know, almost 24 months now. It was probably that Iowa game was the last time he was you know, really a hundred percent. And I, you know, we've seen, I think we've all seen the workout videos and everything that he's done back home in Texas this summer, um, working out with his, his individual uh, private coach um, down there. And he looks healthy. I think James Franklin, you know, who doesn't talk anything about health or injuries said he's healthy and that has me really excited. I think if, if he can get into the season and stay healthy, I think we're all going to be reminded about you know what the special kind of player that he can be, um, especially when you factor in the guys that are behind him, I think, that are going to really make that running back room so dynamic. And on defense, I'm torn between the two elite you know freak athlete linebackers. Um, between, I think I'll go with Brandon Smith. Just because I think this is his third year, this has kind of been, he's getting more buzz of the two kids, um, him and Curtis Jacobs, but I think he's in a more suitable position for him this year. I think he's going to be, play, he's he's not going to be going out there playing to play 100 miles an hour every snap. I think we saw it in the second half of last year, he kind of started to get his feet under him and he wasn't perfect by any means, but I think you started to see him put things together and understand that you can't just play, you know, rely on your, your, your natural talent, especially at linebacker in the big 10. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to see the continuation of that. I think he's got that year of starting under his belt. He's kind of been through the ringer for two seasons. Now he kind of gets it. And I think that along with, you know, Curtis Jacobs on the other side there, um, I think by, you know, the early part of October, we're going to be talking about that duo as, um, one of the best, certainly in the Big Ten, if not nationally, I think based on um, just their natural talent and now having having put in that time and kind of having a better feel for for what's expected at that position. For me, uh, I'll start with defense, actually, and I'll say Joey Porter, um, just because I thought we saw so much from him last year. The way that, like, the fact that he, at his age, with his relative lack of experience at the time, battled with a guy like Chris Olave when Ohio State came here. And just the way that we saw him, uh, you know, I'm a big fan when linebackers have the kind of physical profile that he does where he's six foot two, uh, he's at 195 pounds, but he has some athleticism to him. He has some strength and he has all these things to him. I'm really excited to see what he does now that he has had an offseason as the man. Now that he has had an offseason where he has established himself. And we know that, one, he's going to be out there. And two, it should be a little bit harder for opposing quarterbacks to just not throw to his side of the field. Because we expect Tariq Castrofield is going to be healthy. And if not, Pence has other guys they could put across from him. And then on offense... I kind of went in a different direction from the two of you with this one. And my answer is Sean Clifford, and it is because Brenton Strange could look like a freak of nature. Noah Kane can run the ball really hard. Absolutely nothing matters unless Sean Clifford is able to be the kind of quarterback that can get Penn State to the place it was his first year. 
a quarterback, where Penn State won 10 games, where Penn State won a New Year's Six Bowl, those sorts of things. If the issues that we saw out of Sean Clifford last year are not something that could be remedied by having a full offseason under this offensive coordinator in the offense that we think this offensive coordinator is going to run with the skill position guys around him, all these sorts of things, nothing matters. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Absolutely nothing matters. He has no person behind him who has any sort of real experience. Maybe Taquan Roberson is a has picked up the offense and he's uh, now in his third year on campus. He's going to be comfortable getting out there and doing things. Maybe Christian Bay was probably, I don't know. Penn State is pinning all of its hopes on Sean Clifford. If he can rise to the occasion, this offense is going to be very good. I cannot put that plainly enough. This offense is going to do some really fun and special things. And if he can't rise to the occasion, oh well. Like, we throw our hands in the air and we basically wait for this season to be over and Taquan Roberson is able to take the job next year or transfer comes in or Veyu or Drew Aller takes it. Like, that is the position that we're in. If we can't beat these teams on the schedule... With a redshirt senior quarterback, if we can't go into Columbus, Ohio, and beat an Ohio State team with a quarterback who is not even on campus yet, with a redshirt senior under center for Penn State, it just doesn't matter. Like, I'm sorry. I like I hate to be that uh, curt about it, but it really is that simple for me. But having said that, I'm probably not... <laughs> Despite how it sounds, I'm probably not as nihilistic about Sean Clifford's chances as it might sound. So that's where I'm at with it. Uh, guys, either of any final things to say before I do the little goodbye thing? I have one one note that I will get yelled at if I don't do this. Uh, so be, before we started recording, my wife commandeered my phone as Bill was asking if I had was free to, to do the podcast tonight. And um, I told Bill that she was she was drunk on power from uh, her birthday tomorrow on Wednesday and our first anniversary is this coming Saturday. So shout out to uh, Mrs. DeBear, Jackie, for uh, for one, giving my phone back and not totally <laughs> uh, Im- imploding my my uh, online presence. Uh, and also for uh, putting up with me for uh, over a year, nearly a year married now and uh um, happy birthday as well, because I'm sure she, we she's she been listening since the beginning, I'm sure, to make sure I got this in. Yes. Uh, shout out, Jackie. Matt, any final things you want to say? Uh, shout out, Jackie. Uh, I have no one to shout out uh, or no big dates to shout out, so shout out the $5 wine I got at Target. <laughs> I'll shout out the $5 wine as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm enjoying a bottle of water. Uh, and shout out to all of you. Thank you very much. Uh, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Uh, make sure you are heading to wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe if you're using Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review and keep an eye out for some of the things that we're going to have uh, up our sleeves as the football season gets closer and closer. Make sure you go out and buy some shirts. Uh, they're sitting in Matt's basement and he cannot wait to send you one. Uh, and yeah, uh, Get, get get vaccinated and let, let, let's have fun uh, with this Penn State football season, even if uh, I'm probably the person on this podcast that shouldn't be saying that. Uh, one last time, 
Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear and Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.